welcome to Mad Get Radio episode number 11. On this episode we're talking about all things hobby. We have two lovely special guests who are known for their hobby expertise. So I'd like to welcome to the show David Johnson of EPC fame. Hello. And the magnificent Simon Layden from uh, the Scottish Falcons. Wee wee motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard Simon yeah. swear before. <laughs> <laughs> and as always... I have the hand solo to my Chewbacca alongside me tonight. It's Paul. How's it going, guys? Hope everyone's having a good time. So far, so good. Oh, good, thank you. So, thank you guys for coming on the show. We're going to have a lot of fun tonight, I think, talking about all things hobby. But before we get into the nuts and bolts of the episode, I thought what we could do is just give everyone at home a little introduction. So, if we start with Simon, this is your life. All right. Uh, <laughs> so, compared to David, actually, I'm kind of nameless in the... Uh, in the ninth age, I'm, uh, I've been starting playing, what was it, one year ago, one year and a half. Before that, I probably started Warhammer Battle 4th or 5th edition. I was a kid, I was mostly playing with goblins, uh, you know, meeting goblins and Lego, stuff like that. Just seriously, the game, when the 6th edition started, I guess, uh, then I stopped and I got back to the game when it was the end time. So basically, just too late to join Warhammer Battle, so I got on the ninth age train. So yeah, I'm mostly playing Silver Elves, building an army of uh, Vampire Covenants, and I'm looking forward to another army at the moment, even if I should not. Turn it to my wife. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's all. Nice. And Deej, who are you? Well, I'm certainly not famous. Let's make no mistake about that. <laughs> I just never let go of eight. Right, so I started back in the 90s. I am that old. Back when these men had two wounds. And we're in the same book as Chaos Warriors. They were glorious days. Um, and then once uh, UBT hit, I realised that I could swing a double-handed axe and grow a beard. <laughs> I naturally moved toward dwarves, where I've been ever since. And I too took a big, uh, big break from the great um, game that was very alcohol-related. Once my ID started working, but once I got over that, I, I came straight back and have been uh, thoroughly dwarven ever since, and I, I guess I've been on the tournament scene now for maybe a year and a half-ish. I went to ETC with Wales last year, and I'm blessed to be going with Scotland this year. It's a dwarven ditch, that is me. This is good. You can stick up for dwarves in this episode if we start giving them a hard time. Yeah, what, what was the game you played with all the runes? The dwarven rune drinking game. I'm going for that any time. We're not going to play with someone that plays the army. Where's the fun in that? <laughs> well, he can keep us right. That's very true. I won't I mean, I'm man enough to admit that I've cracked open a beer for this one, so um, we can maybe throw in a couple rounds of that. Along the way. <laughs> uh, right, so the reason we asked you guys on is because you're both very good hobbyists as well as gamers, and you both took very lovely armies, very nicely painted armies, uh, so we're hoping to get a lot of your opinions and things about the hobby side of the game. So to kick us off, what we could do is just talk about our current projects and uh, how generally we approach projects. So, um, Paul, how about you start us off? What's new with you, man? Cool. So, kind of trying to wrap up the Warriors right now. Since they changed the book, there's a, a couple of new units and things I want to try out, and I might need to pick up the odd new model, but the, the goal at the minute is to get the, the second Ninth Age Army off the ground, which is going to be Obercons. That's right. So, yeah, man, Magic very much looking forward to it. Yep, fatty's on the table in three to four months, hopefully. So that's the plan. So basically, 
how I approach that. I take a lot of time looking at pictures, looking at YouTube videos. I'm really approaching this project as a kind of con- more of a concept army as opposed to a more competitive angle. I've got a very definite theme in mind, and so I'm taking a lot of time with looking at miniatures that I want to buy, trying to figure out a paint scheme, how I want to approach the basing, all that kind of stuff. So I, I generally put in at least a month of just thinking about it and looking online and trying to get inspiration so that when I actually finally buy the miniatures, um, I've got a pretty solid idea of what I want to do and where I want to take the design and stuff. And because this is the, the second army, I'm obviously trying to aim to a kind of higher painting standard and put a little bit more effort in when it comes to things like potential conversions or, like I say, the basin and stuff like that. So a lot of planning, basically, is how I, I approach things like that. Watching a lot of tutorials, looking at new painting techniques and, as I say, trying to kind of always improve and starting a new project is, is the kind of the best way or the ideal way to try and kind of improve on my hobby skills, I think. Nice. So what's the theme you're going to go for? So at the minute, the plan is uh, Wild Heart, Themed List, Frost Mammoth, Thunder Tusk, Giant, Yetis, very much kind of embracing the whole kind of icy, wintry, northern vibe. So I've got some plans through some ice bases, which is it's going to take a bit of time, but I think that will look very good and it'll tie in with the kind of theme of the miniatures really well and... I think because it's obviously a low model kind of army, that's not as bad. It's not like approaching it with a kind of horde style army doing custom bases. So it's actually not too bad on that angle. Nice. So we'll, we'll probably come back to your bases and stuff like that because I'm sure we'll yeah, yeah, like yeah. to know how you do them. So, Deej, what about yourself? What's on your painting table these days? Well, to a large degree, it's um, whatever I'm paid to do. So I do quite a lot of commission painting. <laughs> so I've just finished um, 90 Vermin Swarm and now I'm creating <laughs> a uh, Chaos Army. But for my personal army, I'm very much going for my Northern Dwarf still. I'm not finished with them. So when I decided that I wanted a new new Dwarf army, um, one that was a bit different, one where, one where I get to feel like exploit Ninth Age and the fact that there aren't models and there are all these cool rules and whatnot, I decided very much that I wanted one that had been a little bit more isolated, one that was away from the norm of just gold, just metal, just armor, and whatnot. I'm trying to incorporate just some of the cool models out there, like the Ram Riders. I've got cannon bears, not the cheats. It's a cannon on a bear. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some giant crows, things like that. And then it's trying to merge all those in. So at the minute, I'm uh, trying to unify my army by coming up with a, uh, a symbol, if you like, to put on all of the banners. Uh, after that, got the task of 40 spear dwarves to try and figure out how to do and it is very actually similar to uh, what paul was saying in that i i'm going to say researched for two months on this but procrastinated <laughs> it might be a bit <laughs> where i'm trying to find ones without quite so much armor and quite so much metal everywhere so if you think of a standard g-dub door not that one with hoods and cloaks and almost one that might go and fight with john snow on the wall that kind of uh yeah yeah Nice. That kind of vibe. So yeah, I might I might have them. I won't say any more because uh, <laughs> I'm going to go to uh, Element Games this weekend. So we'll see what they have there. <laughs> they're twenty to forty percent off. Nice. We'll see what's up with that. I'm sorry, what they've got what off? Well, they're off RRP. They've always got a decent oh. amount. <laughs> see, I'm going to come home with like four hundred pounds worth of stuff in the back. <laughs> my wife has stolen my credit card. It is not a joke. <laughs> 
Nice. She knows. <laughs> got plenty of cash for the beer, though, right? Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> nice. So, again, we'll come back to some of those stuff, uh, particularly, like, the RAM model. Um, but, Simon, how about you uh, let us know what you've been up to? All right. So, I'm finishing my Sylvan Elves at the moment. So, I have, like, 12 archers left, and then I have a dragon uh, that I turned up to be the last piece of my armor. Um, and now I have my vampires to, to paint. Uh, so I try to do the interesting miniatures first, so all the Vartrolabs and things like that, but I know that I have uh, <laughs> an awful amount of zombies left. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of awful. Uh, plus I bought the, the board game zombie side uh, recently and I'm playing that with some friends. So that adds more zombies to the, nice. to my backlog. Nice. Yeah, my friends prefer to play with painted miniatures, so I should paint that in priority, I guess. But, of um, course. We at Mad Get Radio are very pro-painted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and after that, so, uh, as I said earlier, I'm thinking about painting a new army, uh, so that will be for the next, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Realistically, I guess it would take me two or three years to finish my vampire, but of course I can't wait that long to buy, to buy a new army. Uh, but I think for me, when I get into a new project, the main, the, the main criteria for me would be, uh, the, the visual impact of the army and the, it goes with the play style, I guess. Like, I, after, when I was playing my Sylvan Elves, I bought the vampires because it was really different to play, but also the, the visual aspect is obviously <laughs> quite something different. Yeah. I would want something different from, well, elves and zombies. <laughs> There's still some possibilities. I mean, you have like 14 armies left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, like opposite ends of the spectrum. That's true. I'm hearing dwarves. That's what you're <laughs> like. <laughs> we as a group do not need any more fucking dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, instead of the vampires, I was, I was trying for infernal dwarves at first. <gasps> it would have been for the complete opposite, but, uh, well. Yeah. Uh, we don't mind infernal dwarves. <laughs> because they are evil so they hate dwarves also exactly you can bond over that and one thing I like about the Ninth Edge is that because you have no clear visual guideline yet for some armies you can go kind of crazy yeah. I'm thinking building an army of uh, alien or insect light creatures and use them as vampire swarm or soil ancient something like that that's cool it would be cool, but the main trouble that I see is that an army made of birds requires tons of uh, tons of miniatures. I'm not sure I would be with that after painting 100 and so zombies. Maybe I'd so, wait till the zombies are done before you start on that one. <laughs> <laughs> when you started doing the VC, you said that you picked out more interesting models to do first. What made you do that? Mostly, I do that to have a break from my elves. Uh, okay. Just painting now is kind of boring after a while, I shouldn't say that. And <laughs> mm. it's annoying, so yeah, I made a great, like I would paint, I, I painted like, a, I don't know, a squad of ten, ten elves, and then I would paint, um, uh, some brace for the, for the vampire. Uh, cause that's really different, that other colors, other kind of nutrients. So when I, once I'll be done with the elves, I think I would still go for the special characters and, uh, big units, uh, one. Not the beat, but the special units in the vampire army because they have more, yeah, they have more character and they require more attention, I think, compared exactly. to skeletons and zombies because there you can just paint uh, first rank properly and then the rest is just, uh, you prime and you, <laughs> you shade 
the routine. Ah, see, that's probably where I've been going wrong then. Uh, <laughs> I am 30 zombies down, 120 to go. Gosh. <laughs> and then after that, I've got 60 skeletons to paint, and then I've got all the wraiths to do, and then all the special units. But actually, um, kind of similar to you, because I've just, I'm so sick of painting Empire, even painting the, the zombies is a, just a lovely break from painting two-tone uniforms. And uh, doing stuff like gore, like, gore's really fun to do, which I've just discovered. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, I never really got to the opportunity to do that with Empire, whereas, like, with this one, I'm like, yeah, sure, he can be all bloody and stuff, like, who cares? Yeah, and, man. Uh, it's actually quite it's quite liberating as a painter as well when you're doing them, because, like, with the zombies in particular, because they're all meant to be look a bit dirty and that, so it actually looks better if you're a wee bit messy. Like, mm-hmm. uh, when you're doing, like, bits like the gore, uh, like, I'm painting the zombies from um, Mantic. So they've got like the uh, the skin, open flesh wounds and things like that. And when you're painting that, if you're just like a wee bit messier around the edges, it just looks like the blood's kind of gone over the wound and crisps on the outside. Um, so it actually pays off to be lazy painting zombies, which is nice. Cool. So yeah, I'm actually I'm still enjoying painting the zombies, uh, but I think I'm probably going to hit the wall soon. Ahead, I've only got another hundred to go, but yeah. Yeah, man. So you're obviously starting. Your new army, Andrew, yeah. which is obviously VC. So how are you approaching that? Have you put a lot of planning into putting the army together? Yeah, but... Spend um, a lot of time with that? I've got zero discipline when it comes to buying <laughs> So, like, I said to myself that I wasn't going to buy another army until all the Empire were painted. And then I changed that to I won't buy any more another army until all unit options in the Empire book are painted. So I got to that. The only thing I don't have is a dragon. Uh, but I've actually been yes. thinking about doing that. Yeah, because I think that'd be quite fun just to do... Uh, so once I hit that, I was like, right, BC proper now. And I bought everything, I built everything, and I have primed everything. So I've actually gone, I bought it over a period of time. I didn't just go out and bulk buy and, you know, spunk my monthly wages on this. Uh, even yeah. though I did think about that. But I've basically got a good selection now from the army book. Um, because as much as I like having, you know, the nice painted army and everything like that, I, I wouldn't say I'm a particularly hobby-oriented player. Like, I've got like my painting OCD, which is well recorded on this podcast, but I just like playing with painted stuff, uh, so it kind of pushes me to be better at it. But I wouldn't say I'm a, a hobby player like that, so I felt like I need to have plenty uh, options that I could paint up and then put on the table. Because like, that's kind of really different to what you were going for, Paul, because you're going for the kind of conceptual. Yeah, so I'm basically basing what I'm intending on buying. I've already bought some stuff. But it's based on how I want that initial army to look. Yeah. So it's very much picking certain unit types. I don't know how competitive uh, how competitive it's going to be. And I think it'll be fun to play. And that's kind of my priority, really, for the hobby, is to have fun. But I'm like you. like I, I get the maximum amount of fun out of playing a fully painted army. And I think putting that level of effort in means you just get that much more out of it as well. What do our guests think about that one? Yeah, I agree with you. I, to me, I have more fun just uh, deploying my army fully painted and uh, facing another army, if possible, painted and to a good level, if possible. Uh, to me, that's the most enjoyable step in the in the game. Yeah. Uh, playing the game itself is well, it can be fun, but <laughs> well, <laughs> it's three hours of uh, thinking and. <laughs> argument and so on and it's too much from these. <laughs> is that what you're thinking about when you're playing your three games you're like I should have painted that guy a different colour <laughs> yeah yeah that gives me too much too much time to see all the flaws and all the things I've missed 
What about you, Deej? Because you've you've obviously played at like the kind of ETC level, um, mm. and obviously you're you do put the effort in with the hobby side as well. So, what do you think about that? Well, I think the best way to explain it is that I won't name him, but there's a guy who plays on the tournament scene now, and he's only been playing for a wee while. And his first game was against somebody who was the exact opposite of everything you've just said. <laughs> everything is about winning, and there, there's some models I don't care. You know what I are. You know, throw them on the table, bung them in a, a car on the way home kind of guy. <laughs> and it took a lot of pleasure out. So you brought this army, you spent probably hundreds realistically hours of painting it, planning it, you know, really, really nailing it. So you're going there, you find it in the tournament, and then you see a pile of shit opposite you, and you're like, what the hell is this? Yeah. This isn't what I'm all about. And that, to me, is the key thing that when, for, for me, if I was just interested in only the gaming, then I'd probably just buy a PS4 because it's cheaper. But the experience of playing with the three-dimensional terrain, the coloured armies, with, the painted armies with all of their, their flavour and their feels and everything like that, and the social interactions, that's that's the key. So you remove any of those bits, you know, you get a quiet, uh, like a you know, really moody opponent, or you get an army that doesn't look like somebody cares, and it really, really takes an edge off uh, the enjoyment of the game for me. So yeah, I, I'm all about you, you put in to get out. So the more if you put in, generally speaking, the more get out of it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Definitely. So we'll, we'll come back to this kind of how important the hobby is question, because uh, that, that's, yeah. that's definitely something I want to talk about later on. Uh, but see, when you're just like when you're approaching your dwarf stage, did you did you pick units that you had like a model idea for on the table? Um, or did you kind of have an army list in mind and then thought, right, what could I use as hold guardians? Or I know you've been playing dwarves for a while, well, so it's maybe slightly different. Uh, well, when I first started the dwarves, it was just thought about what were the cool models. So in the same way that some were saying about picking up the, the great vampire models and then the, the elites and whatnot, that's exactly what I did for the dwarves. So I bought my king on throne. I bought my um, you know, anvil. And I was like, probably some warriors too (laughs) (laughs) just you know bought them over the course of time and painted them up to a degree as and when I needed them I'd paint maybe 20 and then if I needed 25 I'd paint a couple more but with the the expansion of Ninth Age in particular um, with things like Hold God it was the case of I don't know what they are I don't know what they're meant to look like I have no guidance so I've actually got two sets the, the first set is a unit of golems, um, like big, I guess, uh, steampunkish guys, and that was exactly what my image was. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, this um, northern dwarves idea came in my head, and, and part of it was that uh, I don't know if you've seen on the forums, there's always a joke about bear cab. Yeah. And well, we're <laughs> Yes, and you know, I, I will fight for it. It'll be on my gravesite. But <laughs> that could be the legacy. Those bear lovers. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just like, why not? Even if I'm not allowed them as an official unit, let's just go and get them anyway. Because what are people going to say? As long as they're on the on the right basis, and I'm quite clear about what they are, I, I see no problem with it. And that's really where that came for me. It was the the realization that I had a freedom that I've not had before in any other game system. Actually, yeah. Like as a as a player, um, I love that when you go up against someone. And they've just got this like really unique army, or they've got a really unique unit. And like, I know that you know you, you could complain about that, but like, if someone says to you at the start, you know, that's a whole guardian, like you're not going to forget it, <laughs> realistically. So why shouldn't you have that freedom to do 
what you want and create that unique army. Because I agree that the best thing about Ninth is that when you go to something like a tournament, you see a vast array of armies. Obviously, Games Workshop are still the kind of dominant force in terms of models, but um, it's always really nice to see a really unique army or army made out of stuff that's completely non-GW. That's just myself talking. That's just like my inner love. So, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. What about you guys? Uh, I agree. That reminds me, uh, during the Siege tournament, there was a player, sorry for him, I, I don't remember his name, but he had an army. He played as another Chan, but he all his miniatures were werewolves. Oh, that was oh, Joe. Joe, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the army was really cool. And that's something I really liked about the Ninth Age, that, yeah, you, for each unit, just have a, a name, and one well, for the three army boots with a, a real army book, with lore and so on, you may have a short description of what the unit is supposed to do sometimes, uh, but it's vague enough to, to give you enough, enough room to, to use different models, basically. Uh, yeah. And yeah, and it's very easy to to find alternative unit, alternative miniatures to to count as what you like. Uh, that's one thing I, I'm doing with my vampires, and I, and I appreciate doing that, taking werewolves instead of uh, vampire spawns instead of the James Workshop Vardaist. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's really something I like because I wanted to, I love the the werewolves miniatures, and I, I wanted to paint some. So. I use that as an excuse to, to get some. <laughs> yeah, the only thing that might be confusing, Simon, is uh, when we play each other with PC, I'm using werewolves as ghasts, so I'm just going to be oh, <laughs> a lot of werewolves on the table. Because <laughs> my ghasts would be big odds, odd zombies from zombie side, so... <laughs> well, that, that, that's easy to remember. <laughs> well, we'll see if we ever face it. Yeah, yeah. Families. So what about you, Paul, miniature-wise? See... That's something I love and hate about the game because Controversial. I hate. Well, not really. I mean, the reason I hate it is because you go like you rock up and then you get to the table and then someone's brought this really unique army and you think you bastard. Why didn't I think of that? Because <laughs> like most of my miniatures are from GW and that's primarily because I just. Well, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just I genuinely like those models. Like the reason I started playing. Warriors was because I saw the GW Warriors of Chaos minis and I thought these guys look really cool and they're really customizable and you can pick them up loads of different ways. So that was it was really the aesthetic of that army that got me into it. So I do I mean it's it's great. Like the flexibility you've got in the game is massive. It's for me one of the the biggest things certainly when you go to a tournament and you see that someone's had this really cool idea. And for me, it just gives me so much inspiration for the next project that I want to do or for the next unit that I'm building or painting. Um, and it really does motivate you at times where you kind of go through a slump in your painting and you just think, I really can't be bothered. I just can't be bothered finish those last three guys of that unit. I'll maybe start painting something else. But as soon as you go at the club and someone brings their new shiny that they've just painted, you think, oh, I really need to get back and, yeah. and get to work type of thing. So the modeling flexibility is great. And I think just generally investing that kind of effort into that side of it, of it, it just makes the game for me. And often it's cheaper. Very much so. Yeah, so let's just let's talk about minis very well. Because obviously now with Ninth Age, it's opened up. And I think even with the newer books that have come out, like the Warriors book, because they've used artwork from uh, lots of different sources, stuff like, you know, a Feldrake is depicted... And you know three or four different ways in the in the warriors book, so it's, there's still that element of 
essentially if it fits the base and kind of looks generally like what it's meant to be you can use whatever you want um so have you guys kind of because of that obviously we've already touched on this but are you now actively looking for like different ranges to get like that kind of unique model on the table i am partly because for all the most of my models for the Ogrecan project that I'm going to be doing are going to be from GW. Part of that is because for certain units, I don't actually like their, their models. So like for the shamans and stuff, the Firebelly guy is kind of cool, but I mean, I would only use that if I was actually bringing Pyromancy. So I'd want to buy something that was more representative of, of some of the other paths. So there's another company I can't remember, but it's like a kind of Japanese-themed line that they do. Oh, and yeah, they have this... Yeah, it's, it's basically this monstrous guy that's he's supposed to be some sort of avatar of death or something like that, but he looks very much like an ogre, and he, he really fits that kind of shaman aesthetic. So I think when my... I mean, I generally go GW first, but if there's something that they don't have, then I'll just go onto the Ninth Age website and look through the, the, the library of different companies, or I'll go through the painting stuff that people have uploaded, or... but um. Personally, for me, I'm generally more GW-focused. I very almost decided to buy my Ogre Army from Mantic, mm. partly because of cost, because uh, their value is like, fantastic. Uh, you can get like large parts of your army for you know, a fraction of the price that you'd be paying if you went to GW. Um, and I do generally like a lot of their Ogre models, but it's just because they don't have the Gribblies, and the GW monsters are just so nice that I really don't want to mix things that I feel aren't going to go. So most of the most of the army will be GW, but um, apart from the Shaman, there's um, a giant mini that I really like from um, Atlantis Miniatures. They do really good quality sculpts, and I think that'll really fit the aesthetic that I'm going for. But yeah, the, the goal one day certainly will be to have an entire army that's non-GW. I quite like that as an idea in and of itself, just to kind of embrace that side of the hobby a little bit more. Simon, what about yourself? With the VC, obviously you're using stuff like the Zombicide um, Orcs or Gas, but are you kind of consciously trying to branch out a bit more, or is it more just like whatever unit you think is nicest that you're going to use? I think it depends on the unit. For example, if it's uh, a unit like the Zombies or Stratum, something that you need a lot of them, and they should be decent but cheap, uh, there are not so many brands available in the end. Have basically Manti, James Workshop, Avatar of War, maybe for some armies. Um, yeah, so the choices are quite limited there. But when it comes to elites, you need when you, well, things like Gast and uh, Vampire Spawn and all those kind of units when you have less than six models in units. You, I try to go to look for um, original models, models that might be my company's Jeremy's team or something like that. So yeah, I look at, uh, I don't know, Malifo, for example. Yeah. Um, War Machine, all that game uh, I, uh, that was successful in France, but I'm not sure it was a channel uh, confrontation. Oh, yeah, yeah, confrontation, yeah. They are resurrecting the game in, uh, in one way to Kickstarter, if you're interested, by the way. Yeah, they're very spiders. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, they have, because they are games, they are made for bands of, I don't know, five to ten units, ten mo- models uh, with the same theme, but each of them look different. So I think they make good choices for small units. They're always nice in a way to play because they are, each of them are kind of individuals. So they are nice to paint. They have an impact visually. That's really cool. Board games are a show, actually. There's there's a few, certainly, that are coming through the Kickstarter avenue. 
are very good for that, like more kind of character focused models. Uh, the, the sculpts are really good. I really like the uh, some of the sculpts for the Game of Thrones game that's coming out. Yeah, mm. very nice. And there's is it Hatred the board game? Ah, uh, yeah, the one with the barbarians. Yeah. Yeah, that looks perfect for warriors. Like, so nice. Although the the game was built, so if I remember, it was bands of uh, between ten and fifteen warriors and that. Uh, so it might be difficult to build a unit of twenty barbarians, let's say. Yeah, definitely. So, You'd have to invest a bit of money there. I don't know how cheap that would be, but aesthetically, it would be amazing. Yeah. Or even just for special characters, it, it would look awesome. Yeah. What do you think, Deej? You a game sort of guy, or you, are you actively trying to branch out even more now? I'm just letting wherever the just going wherever the best models are. Yeah. I'm very lucky in that I know people have been saying that there aren't that many. Say ogre players, uh, ogre miniatures, or that many much zombie range. But actually, for dwarves, we are spoiled. Yeah. Because outside of maybe this podcast, dwarves are adored everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Not here, but anywhere. But but, in all seriousness, um, I I actually, uh, while we've been talking, just totted up. I've got close to a dozen companies uh, here. I, I do have Games Workshop. Skybar, I'm waiting on the Atlantis uh, Kickstarter. I've made some from scratch with Master, Mom, Miss, Bear, uh, Velcro, Magic. And there's others out there as well. So it, I very much just go for whatever I like. If I had to pick one as my favourite, is absolutely Skyball. Yeah. They're bigger than Games Workshop Resorts, so a lot meatier, more muscular. But they're the ones in my mind that have the imagination. They're the ones with the Ram Riders and the the Bear Calvary at the minute, although Atlantis are bringing some out, but um, from my perspective, dwarf specifically, there is so much available on the market that bringing us back to the first couple of questions, if you do have a vision of the army, you can probably fill it right now. Yeah, It's a very lucky time. Um, I think certainly by the time it comes to ETC and I actually finish this army, I think only one unit will be Games Workshop. Nice. Yeah, I think the rest will be, yeah, um, combinations of all the other um, ones. But I think only the Seekers, which to me is still, they're still the the standard bearer there. But um, as for the rest, every other company increasingly is up in their game. Even Mantic, who, in my opinion, their models aren't quite so good. But they've got a a new release. I can't remember what it's called, but it's their Skirmish equivalent. Those models are a, a lot better than they used to be. So... A lot of people just seem to be getting better and better and better. And I don't know whether it is because of games like the Ninth Age where you don't have to play their, if you like, their in-house game to enjoy these models, to get these models and use them. But um, a lot of places seem to be um, up in their game and bringing, uh, bringing new models out. So I am all for whatever the best fit for your arms. Not against Games Workshop, but not for them either. Well, that's a good point, actually, because... Looking at Ninth Age as a game, how much do you think the uh, the model like non-specificness is a hindrance? Like, obviously, we've talked a lot about the positives of this. You know, if you want to do a halfling version of Empire, you know, Westphalia miniatures do an insanely nice range of halflings which you could make an Empire army out of, and it would look awesome. But um, how much is it maybe a hindrance to new players? Do you guys think, or do you not think it is a hindrance? Because just thinking. As a new player coming in, it you know you want to play rank and file fantasy. You've got really two options: you know, Kings of War or this. Kings of War has its own uh, model line through Mantic, but Ninth Age doesn't. So do you think it's maybe harder for new players to get into 
the game if they don't have a dedicated model range? Yeah, I think so. For somebody that is really new to the, uh, the wargaming world, uh, has no idea where, who makes miniatures and whatever, uh, it might be kind of a problem, yes. Well, yeah, I have well, seen threads online about that, like people who have actively posted to say that there are new players and they really don't know what they should buy, and it's almost like they don't want to buy the wrong thing. I mean, it's hard to kind of relate to that because I think we were all kind of exposed to Games Workshop at an earlier age, before Ninth even happened, so for a lot of people, GW is the kind of logical place to go, um, and it's certainly the biggest. But I think, just to kind of pick up on like what Deej was saying, I think the kind of surgeons in board games and it being more popular now yeah. and that there's always more and more coming out maybe that's I mean it's a great thing for us because it obviously increases the kind of the variety of, of models and stuff you can use but maybe that is almost saturating the market a little bit for new people and they're not entirely sure what they should use but I don't know I would I would think by and large it's it's really a positive thing and if, if you go on the Ninth Age website if you're looking at the kind of content that people are putting out just by posting their miniatures and what they're painting, or if you're looking at battle reports and stuff online, people are always asking, like, oh, that's a really nice model, where did you get it from? So, yeah. I think as long as the, the communities kind of supports that aspect, and th- they seem to be, so I, I don't think that's a major problem, but I, I suppose it is a, a consideration for some people. I think the main thing we're missing with the Ninth Age is the compulsive buyer. Uh, somebody could walk into a Warhammer store and see, oh, you have the start collecting uh, bots for whatever army they, they like, you know, anything that goes to them, and they can buy that, and they are, they're ready to play immediately. Yeah. Uh, like I said, you have to prepare, you have to read the rules first, you have to prepare the list, know what you want, and then you have to find which uh, which producer can can feel can do the yeah. issues needed. I mean, I take that point on board, but I actually can do it the other way. That if you see models that you particularly like, you can just buy them. Now, it doesn't have to be a store. It can be anything online, although I do take walking past the store is good. And then you just fit them into the army. So, sure. so just look at your werewolf example, where you're both using werewolves just for completely different things. I, I do think there are barriers to getting into this game because it is still a model-heavy game. You know, it's, it's not the, the cheapest one on the market. But I think that if you're just looking for a game, then between the, the second-hand wargaming sites, the sales that come on, Kickstarters, Mantic in general, um, and other such companies, and you can find that actually, for £100, give or take, you can probably actually get an, an army of the top seven or eight most more, more classical um, fantasy armies being dwarves, humans, elves, orcs, that, that kind of thing. So I think you can do it. Knowing where to go to do it, though, the website does guide you a bit, but I do feel that this game is massively missing that, the, the, the pickup box set, the thing, post by box set that, that was mentioned. They are starting to do these kind of uh, suggested army lists for new players. I don't know if you guys have seen these on the forum. No, but that's a really good idea. No. So there's been some posting of to say, like, okay, if someone wanted to start playing, like, basically asked for suggestions as to what that, say, 1,500 points would include. So I've seen it on the Warriors forum. It's a fairly new thing. It's only within the last month or so I've noticed it. But maybe that's going to be the next step is once they've actually got that nailed down and they've actually got like the, the starter rules and stuff all set up, they'll actually have some suggested places where people can get good value, good quality models for those lists. Yeah. That, that's exceptional. And if you go 
historical again into the maybe not the newer ones but the older games workshop books i don't know if you're recording the picture section yeah they used to have like the general the archers the warriors and then you can expand it with a couple more with the blah and the blah and the blah and then going through and something like that for my page it can only be a good thing yeah i always remember in the, the ogw codexes the most worn out pages in my codexes were um the like the gallery pages i'll be born i get that yeah <laughs> <laughs> are all your uh, fifth and sixth edition books suspiciously stuck Sticky, together? Yeah, <laughs> hitting puberty and playing Warhammer at the same time probably isn't the best thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I just like I still do it now. Like I just like looking at nice armies, um, and it gives you so much inspiration. I think maybe that's less so with the gallery on the main page form because I think that's a massive help, especially having it on that front screen. Like if you're a new person just coming on. You stumble onto the website, you scroll down, and then you have all these like really cool models. That's a big grab. But I think physically having that book and like pouring over the lovely painted armies is maybe something that they're missing. But I also know that it's something that the project that we're always trying to trying to get more into. Um, like for example, I know that Henry, who does the uh, the Ninth Scroll, in the next Ninth Scroll, he's going to have a article about starting an Empire army. So cool. A couple of guys in the forum have been helping him with that, so it's going to be like what different model companies, like all the stuff we've just talked about, what different model companies you've got, what like different paint schemes you can do and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's something that the, the project overall needs to probably improve on. But I think there's positive signs that that is, that is happening, which is nice. It sounds almost like the tailor for war gamers that everybody picks the same army and just does it differently. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean... There's definitely some armies that it's easier to do, like I've already said, like Dwarves and uh, Empire are, you know, two ones where, because Dwarves are just so popular model-wise. Uh, Empire, you've obviously got so many different fantasy ranges, but also so many historical ranges that you can bring over, so you can do them very cheap and easily. Other armies, like, you know, Inferno Dwarves, it's maybe a little bit harder. Undying Dynasties, I think, is probably the hardest, because I, I hummed and hawed over an Undying Dynasty before I really went for the VC, actually, because I thought, I just think they're a really cool concept, but... The only way I see you can still do that is either if you just do lots of conversions or you go GW. But even in G- GW, it's getting so expensive now because the, the Tomb King stuff isn't really produced anymore. Yeah. I think, you know, an alternative for the Undying Dynasty would be to draw with, uh, well, kind of an Empire army and you paint them as Tarakrota soldier, basically. Yeah. Think of the Chinese cool. army. Oh, that's such a good idea. Ah, why did I think of that? <laughs> But then you'll start playing with Terracrota all the time, so that uh, remits your choices in Jami, I guess. Like Paul said, though, that'd be a cool concept on it, though. Yeah, man. Very oh, cool. That might be a shout. That might be number three, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to stop doing this podcast. It's getting expensive. <laughs> getting bad for your health. Let's talk a little bit about nuts and bolts, then. Um, so how do you guys actually... like? thought about your, your army for months, you've scrolled the internet, you've got the models you like from a number of different sources, you've got them, you've built them, you've primed them, you're ready to go. How do you guys paint? Usually I just go for the... I have no elaborated if <laughs> I didn't need to, to paint. Uh, usually I just go for the basic color, then... Uh, uh, maybe I should say first, I usually paint like five models at a time Okay. Um, for a minute. Uh, I found that painting more than that is getting very boring for me. I have done like 10, ten models at a time and it's really annoying and it just gives my motivation to draw at my desk. Uh, so yeah, five is more than 
That's my job. number. Yeah. <laughs> See, I do ten, uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if it works for you, do it. Just for me, I know that five is my limit. I don't think it works for me. It's just, I think I may be a, a victim of my army in a lot of ways. Like, for Empire, you've got a lot of dudes to get through. And, you know, VC are the same, because I'm a fucking idiot, and I didn't think about that before I bought the army. <laughs> yeah, at least I'm not here with my elves. A unit of 20 is a big unit already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what would uh, you teach? Well, I'm not so fussed about painting for long periods, so I watch an awful lot of anime in the background, so I'm always multitasking in that facet. So, in terms of batch painting, that doesn't face me. So the 40s beard walls I eventually make will... Um, most probably be painted all in one go. Oh, okay. Uh, which will just be probably painful, but I may well split it into, you know, a 15, a 15, a 10, depending upon how much time I physically have, because unfortunately this isn't my job. I wish it I could get paid enough <laughs> for this, but, um, you know, pensions by day, painting by night. <laughs> You like Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to accept that, and I'm going to sound print it and make it my uh, ringtone now. <laughs> um, but in terms of if I was, like, I, I've always had this idea. There are, there are two armies which I've always toyed with, um, and the first one is a, a, a vampire one, which is basically a complete ripoff of Game of Thrones. I'm just doing the uh, you know Viking army, and Very the other cool. is a, another vampire army, which is purely a, I guess, anime style where, like, with the summonings and all that kind of jazz, you physically see, like, all the bats being, you know, summoned and marshaled by the vampire and all that kind of jazz. If I'm doing them, like, from scratch, I'll very much operate on a rinse and uh, sort of repeat and reward in that I know I've got to paint these 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 skeletons. Let's just do it. And, oh, yes, now I get to paint a vampire. That kind of thing, anything to keep the, the motivation up and, you know, it doesn't matter really whether it's a, a work or outside, but something like a deadline is very motivating to get something done. It's, uh, I'm sure we'll come on to it, but this whole three colours minimum thing does mean that you, you can at least do things in stages. For example, with the whole garden, I don't think it's finished yet. Um, I've got their unpainted shields in front of me now, and they've already been to four tournaments, yeah. and every <laughs> tournament just something else gets done, whether it be the bases, or the ramps, or the, you know, the, the spot colours, the weapons, whatever it might be, and try and break everything down into into that, so there's finished and it's functional, almost, as well. That's interesting, because, like, it's finished and functional, I always start off with good intentions, when I start painting, and if it's something, I think, it, again, I'm a victim of the army, but I just remember when I did my second lot of spear, or pikemen, I'd already had, I think, 30 painted, and I needed another 40 painted, I think. Um, and I did the first 20, and then I remembered why I stopped painting them. <laughs> and then I kind of, I didn't I didn't rush them. I still got them to the standards that my OCD would accept. <laughs> um, but um, as soon as I'm finished and they're based, I don't touch them again, really. I like to like say to myself that I'll go back and touch that up and do that, but I don't. But I don't know if that's maybe just the, the kind of gamer side of me, where if it's, if it's good enough for me and it's good enough on the table, then it's fine. I don't need to go back and touch it. Um, yeah, I can relate to that. Like, my Feldrick unit isn't finished. And I've been playing with that for months. Because what happens is, I get to the point where I'm like, that's just about finished, but I can I can play with that now. And I'll play with it for a few games, and I'm like, you know what, I'm, I'm fine. I can play this, and then I'll always mean to go back. Yeah. So, like, another example was I had a unit of, like, 18 warriors that didn't have heads. 
for a while. Ah, uh, yes, the Headless Brigade. <laughs> yeah, they were completely finished, but they just didn't have heads. Because I do component painting. Oh, okay. So I just find that so much easier to do like a much tidier job. So all the heads got done together at the end, and that was like the last thing. Um, so yeah, I'm very much like that, like where you can get something to a standard that you're happy with, that you can play with it, but then as soon as you do it, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of okay with this now. But I would agree with you, with you Dave, that a tournament is a great motivator yeah. to get stuff finished. And because you don't want to be playing with stuff, saying this, I mean, the Felgics still weren't finished for that last tournament I played them with, but you, you, you do want your army to look as best as you think you can get it. So, mm. But yeah, for me personally, I try and paint like for the Warriors, like maybe five at a time, and I'll have steps. And because I am like painting in components, so I'll maybe do all the cloaks, and then I'll do all the all the armor, and then I'll when they're all done and painted, then they'll be actually glued together. Um, and I've gotten into the habit now of doing all my basin at the beginning because I find that just makes it so much easier when I've actually finished painting the model to get it on the base and then I don't have to, like for my warriors I used a lot of that kind of texture paint uh, from GW and okay. try, trying to put that on when you've already like painted your guy is a nightmare your model's almost finished and you think I just have to get this done and so you start rushing it yeah. and you inevitably get you know some of the paint on places you don't want and then you have to go back and touch it up so definitely like just doing all your basin and then actually painting your stuff separately on a separate mount and then actually gluing that onto it, I think it's just so much easier to do a tidier job. I don't use yeah. those grip things from GW. I just use like kind of paint pot or another base with some blue tack on it and I just stick the guy to it. That, that sounds very similar. I completely agree with the basing. I, I think that um, unless you're doing the, you know, the absolute bulk standard, yeah, doing basing separately is completely the way to go in. As it happens, I do the same issue. I'm a blue tech on the foot kind of guy. <laughs> on old, on old empty paint pots. And do you ever pin your models? <laughs> I, I've, I've pinned a lot of models. I'm, I've spent far too much money at all of not to have learned how to pin. What about you guys? Do you yeah. ever do that? I um, I had to do pinning for the first time building the VC. All right, cool. I mean, Empire, like, so there's nothing really big enough to really justify it, but um. Mm. I'm using Morn, the Morngul Forge World models as yeah. a and horror. So um, the the model itself, if you don't know it, it's fucking sick. It's very cool. <laughs> um, but he's got like one hand down on a like a horse's corpse, and he's got another in the air. And then I thought because the Shukin horror is meant to be flying, what I would do is put wings on them. Um, so it looks really big and intimidating. I'm really happy with how the model came out. Um, the issue is, is that all that weight plus the wings is put on to the, like, the wrist of the model. So I, I did one without pinning, and um, I'm just super conscious that one's actually going to break now. Um, so for the second one, I pinned just to make sure that you've got that kind of weight support. You know, when you're playing accidents happen, you're throwing dice, you know, you, you've stuck your wrist out, and then there goes your, your shooting horror that you spent, you know, eight hours painting. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pro pinner now. <laughs> And it's a really good example because, I mean, we both use Forge World, but the, the Skyber ones that I've had, because, again, of the, the angles, a lot of them are pinned into the base just to make sure they offer some, uh, some degree of stability. Right. And I think that the, the more you push what you're doing, the more of these skills you have to learn. Like, you know, if, it, if you're adjusting a joint deeper, green 
and stuff in there as well, just to add that little bit of strength and that little bit of support. Yeah. And this is by the time of that, the planning stages that uh, that Paul mentioned in particular have really, really come into it and get that clear vision in your head of what you want it to be and how you want to differentiate it from anyone else who may or may not have those models. And it does get quite um, quite engrossing. Yeah. And the secret between the, the four of us, I can't stand building models. I hate it. <laughs> I just want to, I just want somebody to give me the finished model, the finished vision, and I'll paint it all day, all night. I'll be happy as that. But all that pinning, all that green stuff, all that magnetizing, extra strength. And um, miss, miss, oh god, miss. Miss are nice. They tell me that instruction. It's just like, oh my god. But the end result is so good when you put that effort in. Yeah. That it's almost worth it. Not quite. Almost. It's worth it for everyone who's seen crying because the green stuff aren't fed off. But <laughs> it's good apart from that. So that, yeah, that kind of prep and that kind of uh, vision is such an underrated skill in this hobby. I got, um, I don't know if anyone's seen them, but Warlord do a game called Conflict 47. And um, it's like like World War Two, but weird war. So the war goes on, and you start using wacky stuff. And uh, for their German range, they've got they call them uh, Nachtjäger, basically vampire super soldiers. Cool. So I've used them as vampire spawn. So what I did is like I green stuffed some like robes around the bottom to like hide the the cargo trousers that they're in. Um, <laughs> and then their wings are. I kind of regret not doing this because they only come in two poses, and I, I thought long and hard about pinning them in different directions but I decided against it and I just glued them and it, and I think that's probably going to be the one unit that I'm going to have to go back and pin thinking about it because I've already hit off I think two wings because I yeah. like who designs these fucking models where like they think they put like a little indentation in that's going to hold it especially metal ones like but yeah so I think I'm going to have to go back but I think so much of it like you said DJ is like a, it's almost like a natural progression you don't learn until you've tried it uh, so like I've now realised that I'm an idiot, so I'll need to go back and do that. Uh, but the next project, uh, hopefully, I'll be wiser. I mean, I wouldn't I'm say rich. modeling, but I need to do with you being an idiot. But <laughs> that's true. That's maybe a <laughs> different condition. I'm sorry, I, I couldn't help. It was too easy. <laughs> and you're sleeping in the hall at the weekend. Did <laughs> oh, I haven't reached your point? Pinning everything, so I'm still uh, fighting with green stuff and super glue and. <laughs> You, um, everything to make my mini- metal miniatures. You magnetized a lot of your tree, Father, though, didn't you? Yeah. As you can see, the the arms keep on falling all the time, so... It's pretty good, though, for transporting it, though. Is, you know, you yeah. know it's not going to break, because you can just put it back together. Yeah, that's true. Stuff like that's like a, you need to experience it before. I think like, that goes back to our natural progression point, especially with the big models. They're great. You paint them, and then you're like, how am I going to get that to X, Y, or Z? Especially if you don't have a car. You need to rely on public transport. See, I've been looking at like trying to improve my means of transportation because I'm, I don't have a car, so like I get the train through. Before I just got, I went into one of these like discount shops. You know, you get little like plastic. It's like a little plastic tower of drawers, yep. and you oh, get them yeah, for like yeah. three or four pounds. I had one of them, and I had a a bag that that slotted into perfectly, and I could I could get my entire army in there, and it was great, but. Then I bought the War Shrine, and the War Shrine is is definitely not fitting in there. It's a great model, and I love it, and it took me fucking ages to paint. And then I went to put it in what I thought was a large enough box, but just there's too many spiky bits on the top, and I just had to go out and had to find 
some special container that I could actually get it in. So, like, if I had thought about it, magnetizing that kind of central totem that's in the middle of it would have been a really good idea because I could have just taken that off. But like you say, it's just one of these things you learn yeah, first time you do anything. You never do it the same way again. Yeah. So while we're on the, the topic of kind of modeling and painting and stuff, um, I've actually got a couple of questions that I'd like to ask you guys. So the first one is a bit of a claim um, because I believe that basing is the key to having a really nice army. And I think that if you base, you don't even have to base amazingly, but if you base to a decent standard, it hides a lot of sins in the, the painting process. What do you guys think about that? I think you're spot on. I think that when you look at an army as a, that you haven't painted, that there are certain things that you're immediately drawn to, and the base is absolutely one of them. You know, whether it stands out, whether it complements in terms of colour choice. Like, I'm sure you won't mind me saying, but Craig Johnson, captain of Team England this year, this very weekend went to the team championships with Team GB um, and got a painting nomination for his Silver Nels. And by his own admission, you know, they're not all that. I think they're fine, but he's very damn himself. He based his army with, and I hope I'm getting it right, because otherwise it'll slate me, mixed Italian herbs. Oh, yeah. Nice, okay. Yeah, I've seen people do that. But it's cool. But it just looks so good, and it's so eye-catching, and it just perfectly fits the aesthetic and the feel and the every that army and ties it all together beautifully. So where I use, you know, rocks. Funny enough, I actually based my army according to one picture of um, the Scottish Highlands. Uh, so <laughs> that, that same that same picture reference. I've done it for all of all of my various armies. Just find one picture and stick to it the entire way through. You never go wrong. Like that, it just adds such a such a feel in the Chaos Army that I'm facing right now. He's got a, a red brick road that goes throughout it. So there's you know these spot colours that are consistent throughout everything. Yeah. And it, it's such a simple thing to try and make cohesive and dependent upon your army but I'd imagine like rotting flesh of um, zombies with the, the glorious weapons armor of vampires or you know the craziness of the empire and their you know, multicolored uniforms that is really really important to just nail that base I completely agree with you What do you think Simon? No I agree the bases are tying the army together it gives it coherence in the visual impact we're looking for from the army on battlefield. I'm not so fond, well, personally, even if I had an army that would fit to the theme, I would not paint the whole army with the same colors everywhere. Mm. I like having uniform all across the army. Um, well, my elves are good for that because each unit is unique. Yeah. But I, I understand the 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 value of doing that, like Holy Empire, for example, if it's a theme, and the, uh, the strength of the army, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that was part of, when I did the Empire, I didn't want an army that was just the same, uh, especially with something like Empire, where it's all two-tone uniforms the majority of the time. Um, I thought that would look quite kind of blocky on the table. Um, so I based my paint scheme off the, the Witcher. So all my units are from a different kingdom in the Witcher world. So I used the, the different colours from them. Um, but then you've got to kind of bring that all together because they look fine individually. But I've got, like, for example, my, my spears are red and white and then two crossbow wings, which are normally near them. Uh, one is yellow and green and the other is blue and grey. So to bring them all together, even just having 
I mean, I, I don't think my basin's, you know, mind-blowing. It's pretty basic, but it's like you guys were saying, it just provides that unifying force that when you put that down on the table, there's no way you're mistaking that as anything but a unified army. And that's all brings everything together and really finishes off the army. And like you guys said, like, it really, I think it does hide a lot of sins in the painting process because it's the first thing you, you catch uh, as you're walking by a table. It's just the fact the army looks good and so much of that just comes back down to it. If it looks neat, and I think getting yeah. your basin right helps nail that neatness. Testament to that point, if you had asked me what colour were your crossbow units, even if you told me what the spear block was, I can I wouldn't have said there were those colours. And I see them I all the time. Paying attention. Well, no, it just <laughs> <laughs> well, it just speaks to your point though that if the basin is consistent, yeah, then you can have differences between units. And it still makes the army look professional. Like there's nothing. I mean, you could have the nicest miniatures in the world, best painted as you can get them. If you've just still got them on plain black plastic bases with paint splashed all over them, it's not going to look as good. Your your eyes going to be drawn to the base and the mess. Whereas even if it's like you say done very simply, but it's done coherently across the whole army, you then can focus on the painting of the miniature, and then it just makes it stand out even more. My uh, my pet hate for uh, basing is guys who still use the snot green outline for their bases. <laughs> oh, why do people still do that? Oh, it's an amazing retro look. <laughs> it just screams. I'm, I'm joking. I can't. <laughs> it does. It's called. I painted these when I was a teenager, and I'm still using them now. Yeah, like, like uh, I don't mind I'm going so, green, I'm... but go darker green. Don't go snot green. I've got night goblins in my cupboard that are exactly like that. Right. And when I look at them, I just think, God, they're fucking awful. <laughs> and it's probably more because of the base. Exactly. I mean, the painting on the model is pretty basic, but it's neat and it's tidy, but the bases look shit. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think, I, I think the basin is, I think it can make or break an army. Like, I think if you, it, typically when you see a really well-painted army, especially concept armies, the, the basin's very good. I think all my bases were green on the sides until last year. Oh, really? Interesting you don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember you having... It wasn't bright green, was it? Andrew secretly I... bitches about your, your bases. Don't believe yeah, him. I do it all the time, so I remember. <laughs> <laughs> it was not, not green, it was the shade uh, just above Dublin uh, green. Oh, okay. So a wee bit darker. I don't mind that. I think just... Uh, I don't, just that shade of green. It's, yeah, it's, it's just not green. I just get, like, white dwarf 1999 flashbacks. <laughs> I think it's because, as well... Everyone did their bases the same way. Yeah. Whereas if you look at, like, even just the people that play in our club, like, the people that have got the fully painted armies, their, their basins are different. So it does help to identify their models as theirs, which is actually pretty cool when you think about it. Yeah. So how about uh, you quickly tell us about your uh, ogre basin? Oh, yeah. So I've got this grand plan, and I'm only doing this because they're obviously on, like, 40 mil bases and it's a fairly low model kind of army. The general idea is to actually have like cracked ice. So I saw a pretty good video on YouTube. Uh, basically, it's made from milliput. So basically, you get your milliput, you roll it out nice and flat, you let it set, and then you crack it into appropriate size pieces, and you arrange it onto the base, and then you glue it down, trim the edges, and then you're basically doing like blending. Yeah. So you're basically doing like your wet blending from like very dark blue to light blue with some white highlights and like very light scratches on top and you get this very kind of um it's very it's a very stylized look 
I don't know if you guys have seen, I can't remember his name. I think he's based down in England. You might have seen him at tournaments. He plays Warriors. He's got he's got ice bases. Oh, Axel. Kevin Stonebanks. His army is phenomenally painted. And his ice bases, they look very realistic. Whereas the ones that I'm doing, it's, it's slightly different. Like I say, it's, it's, it's got a certain style about it that's, um, that looks more artificial. But I think it ties more in with the GW style of model a little bit more. Yeah. So that's the plan. So I've got to do that for all the four ML bases, all the monstrous bases, the monstrous cab bases. Um, I'll probably be picking up like 20 mil bases for like scraplings, for like scrapling trappers and stuff. I've not fully decided what I'm doing with that because I don't really want to do this technique on 20 mils because that'll just be ridiculous. I'll need to come up with something that'll tie in with that on a smaller scale. But yeah, that's the plan. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I mean, this is it. I mean, I'm basically dedicating the first four to five weeks of actually hands-on hobby time just doing bases. Hopefully, I can get them cranked out fairly soon. And then when they're done, when I actually go to start actually painting models, as soon as they're painted, I can get them stuck right on. And then that'll be it done. Um, So there might be pinning involved with that because I don't know how the glue is going to interact with the paint on the the millipot. So especially for some of the larger stuff, I might want to pin them onto the bases, but we'll see. But that's the plan anyway. And like I say, because it's more of a concept army, I'm willing to invest that extra time into the bases. And obviously, being a low model count army, it's a lot more practical. Yeah, like, you do that. yeah, you can't do that with you know 120 zombies. I mean, fuck that. You can, but you just go mad. Oh, you would just kill yourself. Yeah. Join the ranks of the undead. <laughs> <laughs> How did you, yeah, that's actually a really good idea. How did you do all your bases? Oh, I just like you know slit my wrists and <laughs> just kind of like almost tried to kill myself because I was so like. Absolutely fucking devastated it was taking so long. I am so metal. Trying <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to get that extra vote by actually making him smell like the undead too. <laughs> yeah. I think I might avoid that for the VC. So I had another question for you guys, uh, and this kind of ties into myself, uh, and it's airbrush, yay or nay. And to give you context to this, I recently got an airbrush, and <laughs> I set it up, and I've actually been scared to use it because... I don't have a huge amount of hobby time, and when I do have hobby time, I want to be doing the stuff that I need to get painted, so just now it's the VC. So I've been kind of hesitant to try it out on VC models in case I fuck it up, and I've seen lots of good examples of airbrushing, where guys have done amazing stuff, and I've seen lots of examples of lots of good airbrushing, where guys have done (laughs) not amazing stuff. So I've talked to a lot of painters that use them, and basically... Everyone that uses them never looks back, but I just wonder what you guys' thoughts on the airbrush were. I've never used them. I don't have one. But when I look at what you can do with them, I think they look very attractive, just in terms of getting really nice smooth blends. Yeah. Doing a lot of your basing that way, a lot of your base coats. Yeah, I think if you can get it down, I think it's time well spent. But, I mean, for your stuff, I suppose pick up an old miniature or a miniature you're not really fussed about and practice that way I suppose yeah. if you're worried about actually like potentially damaging the miniature or you know doing a too, too thick a coat or something like that and taking away some detail but I've never used them so I couldn't say but I think they look good I think it's it's another skill to have I think as a hobbyist yeah it's good for stuff like terrain as well where you've got to do big surfaces yeah and with Paul I don't have any airbrush I don't have the time and the room for that I can see the use, and I've seen very beautiful results of that. 
but yeah, I just don't have <laughs> the opportunity to use it. What about you, Dee? Do you use them? I don't use them. That's interesting. Um, okay. I find I'm really 50-50 on airbrushing. It's my intention in like after ETC to learn how to use one properly to you know spend the money I spend on tournaments, going to some airbrush courses and whatnot to uh, you know really nail it. But and there are some big buts. I find that most sorry to the people listening who hate me, but I find that a lot of it looks the same. So yeah, I can see the smooth blends and everything. And on something that's massive, I mean a tank comes to mind. So we can you know thinking steam tanks, dragons, things of that ill. It would just be, you know, I can absolutely see the, the pros and the cons. But there's something about infantry models that are all airbrushed the same, but I just find too samey, and I couldn't tell you if person A or person B did it, because mm. they just look airbrushed. Just a little bit too smooth? Yeah, frankly. It's, it's, I don't want to say it's like the character's been taken out of it, because I don't mean it in quite that negative way. But I, I just think that an airbrush is nothing more than a... Uh, another tool. It's like a brush is an extension of your hand, so to speak, that you, you know, spend 10, 20 years learning how to use. And airbrush is, is no different. So base coating, sure, it does the same as a spray can. That's absolutely cool. But once you, you know, get to the, you know, the, the pinnacle of it, it's a completely different scenario. But that point in between base coating and mastering, I'm very hesitant on it, which is why I would definitely want to go to the courses to learn how to do it, you know, as, as best as I'm capable, knowing that I'm going to have to spend however many hours practicing to achieve the result I want. Totally in agreeing with you, because I've been thinking about using it basically as putting down the main colours, so like doing your, your big block colours, so for stuff like the, the shooting horror, doing its skin tone and just getting that done, because doing that with a brush will take 45 minutes probably, uh, whereas doing that with an airbrush will take you 5 minutes. So just to save time like that, that's the way I've been looking at it. But I just see all these really, really nice results that some guys are able to get with them. But I don't know, maybe it's just the case that I need to do something like you and go to, go to a course or something if I really want to get it to that level. Or just accept that um, I probably won't get to that and just use it as a kind of a base coater, essentially. I mean, or just, uh, you know, just keep practicing. Like I see some things online about um, drawing dots um, over a piece of paper, then combining, you know, doing it, making grids and stuff. And that's how you start to get the control rolling. Yeah, to do it, but because I don't do, I can't tell you how good or how bad it is. But swirls and dots and stuff seem to be the the key. But having said that, when I was first learning how to do painting, um, the guy who taught me how to paint, or you know, gave me the biggest advice I ever received, he told me to before I do any painting session to get a piece of paper and try and draw it um, or paint a uh, tribal tattoo because it just helps you get the brush strokes and the control of it and everything. So I suppose the principle is the same whether you're, you know, spraying the paint or whether you're on a brush. So I guess bringing it back to your original question, with any hobby tool, if you know exactly what you're doing and you know exactly what the outcome would be, then it's a, it's a really positive thing because it means you're still doing hobby. Yeah. It's just not currently in my repertoire. No, that's good. That's interesting. So that's, that's, that's an interesting point. How did you guys actually learn how to paint? Did you just pick it up by yourself, or did you actually seek someone out to show you, or do you use the internet? Like, how do you how did you go about it? Well, I'm so old, there was no internet. Exactly. I'm actually just um, playing these dwarves, just taking pictures of my youth, and uh, just get the dwarf on top instead of a little boy called Deej. But no, um, <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, there wasn't anything. So 
I've still got some of my earliest models, which I'm pleased I still have because they are absolutely shite. <laughs> they just show me how you know constant um, practice, constant trying to better yourself is the key to well, not just this, but I'm, you know, I didn't do higher education, but I'm sure it's the same principle for things like degrees. Constantly nah, pushing. That's not. That's not. <laughs> you just you just sober up enough to get something when you get three and draw it. But um, uh, that, that's how that's how I did it. So my my first models were chaos ones. I didn't use Games Workshop paints because that wasn't what my dad had available. I used them. I think it was Humbrol, you know, the Airfix kit paints. That yep. kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody's ever getting that paint off that poor blood thirster. <laughs> um, so if I if I was to use that model today, I guess a Titanic summon is about all he's good for. That might be pushing it, but it it was just over the course of time. The two bits of advice I received, which really set me well, I suppose three actually. If I was to offer three bits of advice, it's keep the minis that you have so you can see your own progress. Yeah. It's different now with photographs because you know you can just keep them on a on a drive somewhere. And the second thing is try that, try the tribal tattoo thing because it does lead onto things. It does, uh, you know, help build the muscle and the muscle memory around holding the brush. And the third one is just patience and repetition for all of the the terrible annoyance of doing things like horde armies or commission painting or repainting so many dwarves. Every brush is that I do now compared to like a year ago, which is so much more more assured because I'm so used to it. So practice, practice, practice. I sound like a you know some sort of terrible sports montage, but <laughs> that that really is just the if that that would be the way to do it. And also, I suppose actually no, there was one other thing I would say: be realistic with your goals. I do not paint to golden ding standard, and nor am I trying to. So the fact that it doesn't match the art on a box, or you know get whatever the high score and uh, call mini or noise, doesn't matter. All that matters is it's better than the mini I did yesterday or I'm more assured or happy with it, something like that. It's just setting a realistic but challenging target. I think that, that setting yourself targets is a good thing as well, like even just for individual painting sessions. Like just saying that, right, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to paint 10 zombies or something like that. You know, 10 zombies and I'm going to like really try and work on my like my ink effect and things like that. And yeah, it really helps. And that's something I still do like whenever I sit down. And like sometimes you don't do it because sometimes you get to zombie number four and that guy's an asshole. <laughs> You, you, you give up for the night, but just those little things, and then I was actually saying to Paul last week, I think you're totally right, Dave, it's just about the it's almost like muscle memory. When I started painting the, the VC, like, I just actually noticed that your basic techniques just naturally improve over time. So stuff like, um, when you're doing shading, like, just how you do, like, how much shade's enough, how, when you're doing your, your ink washes, how much is enough, how much, you know, should you take that level on top off, or should you leave it? And uh, that is just something that practice, you know, makes. It's not something you pick up and you get right away. Uh, very much. And what is our, our Lord and Saviour Duncan says about two thin coats? <laughs> <laughs> nobody knows how thin that paint is from that video. So that's another thing you just learn from experience. Oh, it's, it's... yeah. Well, that's actually a good point, actually. Because before we go on and talk about um, tournament stuff and uh, soft scores, I want to just get everyone to give one kind of hobby probably tip or one like cheat or trick that you've got in the bag and I'll, I'll, I'll go first because mine's is essentially that that so much of my like especially the basic infantry um, all I do is spray them white everything sprays white don't spray anything other than white um, and then just water down your colors because when you water down a color and you paint it onto white 
it essentially does your highlighting for you. And then all you need to do, if you if you want to go back and do it, all you do is just see those areas where the paint's thinned a wee bit more, and you get that white shining through, and then you do your highlights and stuff there. And then that's it. Boom. 100, yeah, 180 right. heavy infantry or something I painted. Like, done like that. Done. See you later. So it's kind of like painting with inks, almost. It's the same kind of idea. Yeah. You just water it down. I mean, you, the trick is, like, knowing how watery it is. Because if, yeah. you, if you get it too watery, it just runs down the, the model. But I don't know if this is, like, a tried and tested method, but I normally do two dabs of water. I don't know if that'll work for you. Try it. See what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so I get, like, my paint out, and then one dab of water, two dab of water, then mix it. There you go. That's my Bob Ross tip for you all. You can try that out. Awesome. What about you, Simon? You got any tips of the trade? Oh, if you go for Bob Ross, I would paint some little happy trees. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> little happy actions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the main trade, the main advice I would give would just be take some pleasure in what you're doing. If you... If you're tired, if you're not in the mood to paint, if you're getting tired of seeing the same miniature, or if you're frustrated by your results, just take your break and stop. Because you won't, you won't make it better if you're angry. That's very Bob Ross type then. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Ross can teach you so much. <laughs> yeah, I know. Just misses her. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's all about patience and enjoying the, the process, I think. That has to be the name of the episode now, Paul. <laughs> All right, okay. <laughs> uh, Paul, what about yourself? What's your hobby trick? I really like to say I have one, but I really don't. Um, right. No, I'd, I don't know if it's because I paint in components, but I'm quite methodical. And basically, what I do, and I'm sure everyone does this, so it's probably not very insightful, but I paint the first miniature from start to finish, and then I work out the best process of replicating that so that when I go to do the batch painting for the rest of the unit, say, I've worked out that, all right, I should paint that part of the mini first because it'll make the subsequent uh, step much easier. So I try and do that, and I, I take notes sometimes. So I'll wow. write out the colors that I'm using so I don't forget. Because if I take a break, say, and say I painted that first miniature and then something comes up and I don't paint it again for a week, then I'm like, shit, what color of blue was that that I used for that base? Yeah. So... I can go back and say, oh, it was whatever. So that can be helpful. And for starting a project, I normally do that. I I plan to the point where I know what colors I'm going to use so that if I have to buy anything, I know what I'm going to buy. And so when it turns up, I'm like, right, great. That's the flesh tone that I'm going to use. That's the color I'm going to use for whatever. So I think taking notes could be quite a good idea. And I'm someone that uses the internet a lot for tips because I'm quite a new painter myself so a couple of places i would recommend tabletop minions don't know if any of you guys watch uh his videos there's a guy called adam it's basically one guy and he does a lot of kind of concept style videos so they're not necessarily always about how to paint but they're about ideas around painting so things kind of like you know what simon was saying about painting for pleasure or painting with a realistic goal in mind and you know you're never going to be fully happy with what you paint so Bear that in mind when you start so that you don't waste too much time painting and suggesting ideas like, you know, have you ever tried speed painting and giving yourself a target rate? I'm going to paint five guys start to finish and I'm going to give myself two hours to do it or an hour to do it or something that you feel is a challenge. And if you keep at that, then you will get to the point where you'll become a better painter as well as a faster painter so that when you go to doing these kind of bigger units, 
life becomes way easier. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've heard that advice being given by people who are like professional commission painters and things. So there must be something to it. I mean, I've never, I've never tried that, but um, I think, yeah, there must be something there um, that's worth giving it a go. But yeah, with regards to my own kind of painting and stuff, it's, I'm quite methodical. I don't really have any kind of big tips or tricks. It's pretty straightforward. Nice. Okay, Deej, as a commission painter, aka pro, <laughs> what's, your, what's your pro tip? If I was to offer one tip, it would be paint with a limited palette. Ooh, so, I, I can't remember the guy's name. I always forget his name. The guy at Games Workshop. He said this and I took it. I, I did, funny enough, what Paul was saying about I, I tried it on a, a wall band and it was like, actually, I really like this. And as I look over at my army now, I can see that my, my pink which my dwarves have got pink armor because I really like that color and could never see anywhere else I was going to do it unless I mainly featured it. So enjoy the painting. There you go. I like that pink. I can see it on the sleeves of some of my guys. It's on the armor of some of my guys. It's on some of my banners, some of the helmets, but it's not universal. So this is how I, you know, mix it up and make them look a bit different while still being cohesive. So limited palette. If you're going to use um, brown, don't use the entire range. Just use a smaller and a smaller couple. Highlight consistently that way as well. And it makes it cheaper because then you're only buying the paint you actually need across most of an army. Um, I've always worked for I write down everything as well. Um, so I know exactly what I've used on every army, every war base, every everything that I've ever done, just in case I have to go back and touch it up or do it again. So uh, I'm completely with you there. Nice. Um, I have an advice, but it's really for beginners. Uh, use a wet palette. Yeah. Oh, I, that was exactly what I was going to ask. Do you guys use a wet palette? <laughs> uh, I build my own, like, well, when I started painting my elves, and since then I really see uh, it's more comfortable, it's easier to to mix your, your, your paints um, and to use them over days. Yeah. So much better. Do you find there's a lot less wastage as well? Not really, because eventually they dry, but I think it makes it easier to thin down the paint and make dungeon happy. Right, okay. So it's easier to transfer it. Sorry. No, it's okay. I just, that's quite interesting, because um, I think we, we talked about this before, Paul. Uh, I thought long and hard about it, but I didn't actually do it. No, it was my New Year's resolution, and I've fucking blown it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you use a dish, a wet palette? Um, occasionally. I mean, I paint like on average three hours every night anyway. Nice. So I try very hard to avoid doing a lot of mixing. So if I'm doing something that's going to require mixing, like, you know, let's say I'm doing a banner. Like, let's say a standard army, I'm going to do, you know, a color, a shade, bring it up, one, maybe two highlights. But on a banner, I'm going to try and, you know, blend it and mix it a lot more than than I have done previously. So for something like that, if I'm going to be doing lots of banners, then I would consider getting the wet palette out. But as a general rule, partially because of having kids, so rushing in and out, I just find that I use very small amounts of paint at a time anyway. Yeah. I just find to control their, their flow and their consistency and uh, and everything. So as a general rule, no, I don't use them, um, but I totally get why people do. I just don't need to for what I currently do. As a final point, especially to new painters, if there's anyone listening, Army Painter Soft Tone Ink. Get it. 
I apply it to every single model I paint. It's awesome. The Twitch shade part um, thing? Yeah, yeah. So don't. I wouldn't really recommend it's the strong tone. So stuff like you can buy Army Painter Dip, but it's normally the strong tone. And I think the strong tone's too much. Because essentially, the strong tone is just a dark brown ink. So you end up, like, if you've done painted a nice model and you've maybe inked the bits that you need to already, so stuff like uh, if you've got red cape, you maybe want to give that a, once you've done finished it, you want to give it a red ink coat. If you put soft, uh, sorry, the strong tone on top of that, it'll just drown it. Whereas the, the soft tone's a very light ink wash. But it does stuff like like the creases in the arm, if they're wearing like a uniform, it just darkens them yeah. a little bit more. And it's it's the last thing I, I do to all my models, is I just give it a, just a quite light coat, and then I go around and I take off all the excess with a, another brush. But I just find that really it adds the depth to a lot of the materials in the model. Which is this something like. similar to like GW Shades? Or is this more like a glaze? Um, it's, 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 it's universal, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's like a it's universal ink wash, essentially. Right, okay. Um, okay. But like I, I do ink washes before that. So for like the yes. zombies, um, I've got one. I've d- d- done lots of different skin tones in the zombie unit to make it look like a mass. Um, and then for one of them, it's just primed white. The skin is done with a it's a GW camel green camel ink. Um, and then I do all the details and stuff. And then the last one was just in the soft tone. And it just it it helps um, tone down the really bright colours but also add depth to some of the, the colours that are kind of monotone. I don't know if you've used it for, uh, like you said, red there. Um, yeah. When I bring them up, I tend to bring them up the orange spectrum. Yeah. Uh, rather than going pink with them, and something like that over the top really helps to, to unify it and bring that, especially with the dry brush where you've got the chalkiness. Yeah. It tends to all smooth it all down. So, yeah, I, I completely... That gets the Deej thumbs up. So, <laughs> there you go. I've made it, guys. Well, I'm well. here. <laughs> And uh, just as I remember, a similar question, do you guys have a default colour that you prime with every time, or is it model dependent? Oh, I'm always white, I've already said that, yeah. Because I see, like, if I watch painting videos, see, like, how how they try to paint some sort of GW thing, they always seem to prime in black, even if it's quite a light model, they're going to be using quite light colours, and I don't really understand why they're doing black. I think black acts as, uh, in a similar way to white, uh, black acts as your dark undertones for a lot of colours. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. Is- the issue with black is that you've got to be willing to do multiple coats. Well, see, this is it. So, like, if I've seen them paint things that are, you know, very light, and they'll, they'll so they'll prime it black, and then they'll go like a very light flesh tone yeah. on top of it, and they say two thin coats, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, right, fucking two thin coats. That's like <laughs> four fucking thin coats more yeah. light to get to get the black away. And I think to myself, why, why not start with a grey? And then do it that way. And, and I, I know what you're saying, like it can affect, depending on what paint you're using and stuff, the, the kind of darkness that you're going to be left with with the paint. But um, I was just curious because I think some people just kind of stick with one and that's not something that they necessarily change, necessarily think about depending on what colours they're going to be using. Yeah. What uh, about you, Simon? To me, it depends on the model. Uh, if I know I'll right, be using okay. light, light color, lots of stain or uh, white uniform or something like that, so I would prime in white. If it's something that has almost no stain or yeah, covered everywhere and dark colors, of course, prime it black. I think if I had a choice, I would prime it black. But now that Andrew has said prime in white is better, maybe I will change my mind. <laughs> 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 well, 
the main issue I have when I prime in, in white is that it uh, it makes it obvious when you miss a spot. Yeah, that's fair. And that's really frustrating when I finish a model and I, and I see all the white uh, crevices yeah. and so on. <laughs> yeah. But, well, that's my mistakes. <laughs> I just think that a lot of the time, it's, if you prime in a dark colour, it's harder to get it uh, up to like a light colour, whereas if you prime yeah. white, it's easy to get it darker. Um, and especially if you're doing a lot of models, I just think the white's an easier start point. But, I mean, that's something I've always done. Uh, and I've always got good results with it, so I'm really hesitant to try something now. So. Some paints in James Watch Rapper, or the Citadel paints, are quite good for that. And the, the, the base paints yeah. are very heavy in pigments, so they're very good yeah. at covering black. Yeah, I was just going to say, my Warriors Army tends to be... I've kind of got two main colour schemes. They're either white, silver and blue, or black, gold and red. So... For the miniatures that are black, I obviously prime them black. And then for the warriors that are white, I prime them white. And I just find that's just the most logical way of doing it. And I think I, and the reason, part of the reason for that was I think I maybe started priming my warriors black and then it was like, right, now I'm going to try and paint them white. And then I did two and I was like, this is fucking ridiculous. What the fuck am I doing? So I think gray is quite a good intermediate because you can go either way with gray. And, um, do you guys buy like spray primer from like Army Painter or GW, or do you just go out and buy like stuff from Halfords? I use Halfords. Halfords white car primer. I use GW until the I bought the spray for the for the zombies from Army Painter. Um, okay. I did it only once, but uh, I found that the paint is quite greasy somehow. Yeah. Okay. So maybe I sprayed it too close to the miniature. I have to do it sometime. It's funny you say that because I painted. Um, a Tau army for 40k a couple of years ago. It was like the first army that I'd really sat there and you know painted start to finish. And I um I base coated it and or sorry I primed it in a like a tan color because I thought it would save time that I wouldn't need to go and paint all the armor because it was that kind of tan uh, sandy color. Um, but even though it was meant to color match the paint I was using, it was actually slightly darker. And it's, right. it still annoys me to this day whenever I see them. You can tell the bits that have maybe gone over with the, like another colour and I've maybe mucked it up and I've had to go fix it because you, you can still actually see where I've had to go and fix it just because it hasn't been that exact tone colour. So I'm always wary of uh, companies that say that it's a 100% match for their, their colour. Maybe that was yeah. the shit paint that I used. I think, I think it's a tough one. I mean, I undercoat in a variety of colours. I change it up for every model. So uh, again, I'd look at that dwarf army. The, the bears were primed in brown. Um, as that was the bulk of the colour. My warriors were, I think, primed in black originally and immediately given a spray of metal. So metallic everywhere because that's the bit that's going to be unforgiving. But yeah, as a general rule, black for dark models, white for lighter ones, all grey. Um, I seem to recall painting my elder with a grey base. They're uh, a bright blue and white. The Miami Dolphin fish colours, if you follow that a little. <laughs> And I ended up using the grey because it doesn't colour match anything. I replaced all of like the um, the washing stage with just painting around that. So I just layered as my first layer. But I've never known a company who can colour match properly. But even looking at the, the GW videos, they tell you they paint it in black, so now you need to paint it in black. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. So I, I don't think you ever get a colour match, but half of that isn't necessarily because they're trying to do it you know, trying to cut that corner is because if you do 
you're making a mistake and you know you get an errant brush slip. It's because you cannot correct it because it's just too light or too chalky. I completely agree about it. Everything they just said about army painter. I, I painted some marines. Um, I've got purple marines, Baltimore Ravens. You follow American football, um, and I the purple on it just yeah it just did nothing for me. It was uh, it was awkward to paint on top. There was too much grip on it. It was almost like it was prepping the surface for another primer or something. Yeah. It was very odd. Well, that was a productive talk there, eh? Yeah, man. Right. Uh, before we wrap up, um, I want to get your your guys' thoughts on how the hobby transitions onto like the gaming scene, essentially. Uh, so, first question, essentially, is just how important is the hobby within the game? What do you guys think? Well, that's main appeal to me, but uh, I can understand that it's not everyone's uh, interest. I'm fine playing against a player who would not have the time, the money, or the, the interest in painting his army. Me, I'm playing mostly to have my army painting. Yeah. Okay. Deej, what about you? Um, I'm a lot less forgiving. Um, <laughs> given everything that we've talked about, I do not feel that anybody who enters this hobby, note the word hobby, not game, there is an excuse for not painting to a basic standard because you can prime it, you can then grab another spray can from Halfords or BQ or wherever. Spray a different colour, run on some of that strong dip that you just mentioned, and you've already done most models. And if you want to take it a step further, like uh, if you just actually like base them all in um, a green, and then do a, a green wash on the skin and a brown or a red wash on the clothes, then you've already got differentiation between the two. Yeah. So we're not saying I'm not saying that you have to paint super well or anything like that. Or paint. That's actually that's not the right comment. Do you have to spend a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of stages and process, etc.? I just feel that getting an army to a base standard and not the three colours minimum, whatever the hell that means, I just feel it's a lot easier. I, I just feel it's so easy to do you now because the market's you know so broad. And even if you don't like the internet and want, you know just want to go into your local hobby store or whatever, then you know, even even Games Workshop now sell, you know, yellow in a can, brown in a can, red in a can, green in a can. I just don't think there is a much of an excuse or help. Just like you said, just do it white and just do nothing that um, washes the entire thing and there's your colour differentiation. To me, it just, I, I hasten, I, I don't want to say laziness because people have real lives. They have jobs, they have commitments, they, you know, have children and travel or whatever it might be. And I completely get why people struggle time-wise. But I just feel that it can be done now pretty quickly, and I apologise if I come across as a hobby snob on this. But I just, I just think that you know, painting to a tabletop standard is very achievable. Painting anything beyond that is, is a completely different thing and a personal choice. But tabletop standard for me, um, especially like like you're saying about skeletons, you paint it white, bung some sepia on it, and then you dry brush it and you know, bob your uncle. That's just my view. Paul, do you agree? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, I wouldn't have gotten into this game if you walked past the GW store and you looked in the window and it was just all grey plastic. No one's buying that game. It's it's an immersive game, and I think you need that level of investment. I mean, for me, like I think I'm like you in the sense, Andrew, where ultimately I want a really nicely painted army because I want to play with it. Um, I'm not just doing it to 
for the rewards that come with a nicely painted army that I can put on my shelf and I can look at it. I do want to play with it as well. So it's the balance between the two. I mean, for some guys, they really just want the models because they enjoy the game and it's maybe the social side of it as well, which is fair enough. And like what Deej was saying, everyone's got real lives. It's it's the compromise and the balance which comes with that. But, I mean, at the kind of friendly club level, it's less of an issue when you're just like kind of practicing and having a good time at your local club. And if someone's making progress, albeit slow pro- slow progress with an army, then that's totally fair enough just yeah. because of real life stuff. But I think if you're playing against an army and there's been absolutely no progress with that army for 12 months, then it starts getting a little bit kind of more tedious to play. And certainly at a tournament as well, I'm not really interested in playing against that at a tournament. I, I absolutely agree with you. I think playing the game with painted armies just makes such a difference. Enjoyment and immersive immersiveness um, and if I'm playing against someone and their army you know, isn't amazingly painted but you can see that they've made an effort or that they're making an effort with the army then that's, that's even better Yeah, I, you know, n- not everyone's going to be able to be able to put the time in to produce white dwarf level armies and that's fine but just seeing that someone's you know, trying to get their army to the, the tabletop standard is yeah I, I just really appreciate it and I just think the game is more enjoyable because of it. But I am also conscious, you know, that people have time and stuff. And I've, I've said it before, I, I would consider myself more of a gamer than a, than a, a hobbyist. But a hobbyist with, uh, sorry, a gamer with severe hobby anxiety. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mean, we mentioned tournaments there. So obviously there's, in recent times, there's been a bit of uh, controversy over uh, soft scores and things like that. So is there a place for unpainted armies at tournaments? Depends on the tournament. Um, if it's a fairly small, informal tournament, if someone's new to the game, if it's a new army, but someone just really wants to play with it because that's what they're into, then I think that's okay. I think as, as soon as you start getting to the level where it's maybe like a two-day event, you're you're having to pay a little bit more money to go. At that point, I don't think you really want to be playing against an army that isn't painted. And that doesn't mean, like you say, super high quality, but there should be a basic standard that that person has met. So I think it should be something that is enforced within a tournament. To what degree that is enforced depends on the event itself. And it's it's part of the game. I mean, whether you like it or not, it's a miniature game. The miniatures don't come painted. That's something that we have to invest time into. So I think it's right that it is given its its kind of fair attention at a tournament, and I think it's good for for those of us that are very much into that 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 gets acknowledgement in so far as maybe like prizes and stuff. I don't think it should ever get to the case where someone wins an event because they have the nicest painted army. I think it should come down to just who's the better player, because ultimately it's about who's winning the most points and who's the better general. I think it needs it needs its place within the tournament to degree and it just depends on the event and before you go to an event you know what you're signing up to so if you know there's a certain painting standard that needs to be adhered to then you kind of are signing up to that likewise if there isn't and it's very casual and you know that okay there's a good chance maybe there's going to be stuff on the table that isn't painted then you, you go into the tournament knowing that so you just have to kind of bear your teeth and, and bear it if that's something that you personally struggle with interesting points gentlemen what do you think about that um, to me, well, I may translate it myself, but to me, in a tournament, 
uh, I would I would give penalties to somebody who comes with an unpainted army because, as David said, it's uh, well, it's not really laziness, but when you prepare a list to join a tournament, you if you take some time to if you give some thoughts to to prepare the perfect list that you think have a chance to to win the tournament, because we're going to the tournament to to play and hopefully win. I think you should also. If you have the time to prepare your list, you have the time to paint at least to uh, be able to stand up. And as Paul said, yeah, it's part of the, of the pleasure and the game to, to fight an army painted, fully painted if possible. Yeah. So for a friendly game, I don't mind having an unpainted army in front of me. For a tournament, I, w- I would mind, yes. And I think instead of giving bonus points for a painted army, I would give penalties to somebody who hasn't painted his armies. Uh, the same way you give penalty to somebody uh, who would send um, his list late, for example. Yeah. Deej, I kind of know what your thoughts are already, but... <laughs> <laughs> Burn them at the stake. Uh, not quite like that. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> <funny>. uh, uh, <laughs> I, I think tournaments fall into three categories, really. It's almost like a... When you agree to go, it's almost like signing a contract to meet to those commitments. So you've got the, you know, friendly, casual game. It makes no difference. You're going to have proxies. You're going to have unpainted models. You're testing things. You don't know where you're going to, you know, spend your money on. That's cool. The ones worthwhile is a one-day tournament that has no model requirements. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be painted. Grey plastic is perfectly acceptable, and that's one of the joys of it because you get to test all of these new, you know, crazy things about it. It's all known in advance, so there can never be a complaint. Now, I disagree. I have no problem with someone losing a tournament based upon not being able to meet the basic contract of turning up with a painted based army. Because to me, I see no difference between somebody losing a tournament on a list that was delivered at five past midnight compared to 11.55. What's the difference? You know, in, in the biggest scheme of things there, you know, a list is a list. But they, I agree that a point deduction for like a late list, they fail to meet their the condition they've signed on for. So so be it. They get a penalty. Yeah. And I I do completely agree that it should be the the same the same with painting. Now one thing that I will point here is that ninth age, it may have been the same in eighth edition Warhammer, but I, I didn't tournament as much back then. But ninth age loves to give a prize. The the number of times I've seen a best in race given to the only person who's playing that race <laughs> is, you know, it's not small. Now, admittedly, it's only a certificate and a bit of paper that I still stand at the front, take some applause, and if it's up, <laughs> applause, shake a hand, smile, take a picture and walk back, you know, sheepishly, if, they, if, if they're reasonable. Um, <laughs> so, why, so, so why can't people... I, I guess what I'm saying is that if we're willing to celebrate the tournament scene, which to me is a celebration of the hobby, not just a celebration of who, you know, being a general and who can play the game the best, then I, I don't see a difference between, say, an illegally painted army and an illegal list. I, I don't see why people can't paint to a three-color, assuming three-colored, bear in mind, I still don't actually know what three-colors means. Nobody's ever explained it to me, what three-color minimum action is. I, I just don't get it. So I am 100% on the side of, as long as everything's clear in the pack, and that is the, the big thing here, so everything's clear in the pack, what you sign on for, never be a plain and point 
timekeeping, you know, overrunning in games, late lift, illegal lift, this amendment, not based, not three colours, not coherent. All of those are fair game in my mind because I put them all in the same category. Maybe it's easy for me because I have um, you know, a fully painted army, but I feel that I shouldn't be... I feel it's almost unfair that I've put that effort in. Somebody else has them and they beat me because people don't want to find they like to dock people points for the sake of not having an army. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a crucial point is enforcement. There's so many tournaments that do not enforce the minimum requirements. And admittedly, I think I, I've been soft on this in the past. And I know like when we did Siege, we advertised yeah. that, that you had to meet the minimum pain requirements. But Paul and I actually had a discussion about this before we released the pact saying what we'll do is we'll advertise that, but on the day if someone turns up, we'll let them go because it's really we just want to kind of force people to make the effort. And I think, well, for this year, definitely, I'm going to say to Paul, I think we should deduct points because I, I actually, I'm coming more and more to agree with DJ's kind of side of the argument in that I don't think it's particularly fair that some people put the time and effort in. For example, Matt Reed, when he came to Strife last year, he was up till, you know, 2, 3 in the morning uh, the week before strike, getting everything painted and faced. And, you know, I think we've all got, we all say we're busy and stuff, and we are all busy, but everyone's got time to put three colours and basin on. And I think it's the enforcement that's the issue because, you know, there's guys that I think do maybe take advantage of the fact that they know that they're not going to get docked for that. I agree. And, yeah, I don't want it to come across that I'm negative about um, tournament organisers here because I've never run one. I have no intention of running one. <laughs> so I still give them all the respect to do it. That I know I do genuinely not have the time or inclination to do. But even at the you know the, the Scottish Championships, Felix, whilst playing as the spare player, still um, got myself and Tim to run around and double check: is everyone based? Is every, you know, is there something missing? Um, I know Slatch at his uh, mids he docks me points because um, I had uh, five. Uh, Dwarves with uh, axe and shield in a double-handed axe unit, right? So therefore, I've lost you know, that bit of the uh, cohesive, that kind of. It, it was something like that, quite worth word, but that sort of stuff to me is just so fair. It's just part of the contract you sign, and yeah, it is tough because you're the one getting shouted at. But it's no different to a timekeeping or a, a list penalty or something like that. So. That's just, the, like I said, that's just my view, though, but I know that I'm uh, not necessarily in the majority of this one. I think the, the cohesive thing is maybe a slightly different argument, because, like, I would say that's very harsh, the slash that doctor points there. That's a slightly different point. That's more, like, what you see is what you get type yeah, argument. Which I, I don't really agree with. They released the tournament pack from Night Age, like the official one, and in that it said that as long as 50% of the unit is what it's meant to be, then it's fine. And I think that if it's good enough for everyone else, it's good enough for me. Um, I think yeah. the issue with it is that I know that a lot of people make tournament lists depending on what they've got ready and painted for the tournament or what they're going to aim to have done for them. So I don't think it's particularly fair that someone maybe hasn't brought a unit because they haven't painted it and then for someone to rock up with something that isn't meeting those requirements and then knowing that they might not get docked anyway because maybe the tournament organisers is a bit soft. Yeah, that's true. Coherence of the, of the army uh, in the miniatures is most objective and might depend on the charge. For example, it might be uh, understandable that uh, you have a special character way with um, the, the miniature is wearing a shield and a hand weapon, let's say. But in your list, the uh, special character comes with a great weapon. 
Yeah. Could be a load, I guess. Yeah, I don't, I don't care about strength, but I think that's absolutely yeah. fine as long as it's painted and based. But then it becomes a first if, uh, I don't know, you have a unit, um, like 20 guys with hand weapons, and you say, oh, by the way, those guys have spears. It may become problematic during the day. I think if you said, if you make the point, I mean, we would generally say at a tournament, make sure that you know what it is you're fighting. So if there's any ambiguity, uh, I can't say that word. If you're unsure, I'll go with that word. <laughs> if you're unsure about what a unit is, you should take the time to ask your opponent. And if they tell you and you forget, then that's just on you. Yeah. I mean, that's we true. generally have copies of people's lists that have that level of detail in it. So you should be able to at least look at that and say, all right, I know that unit has spears. And it's difficult as well, because if you want to buy a certain model because you like that model, but we play a game where there's a fair amount of customization involved with regards to how a unit is designed within a list, then the only other option is to magnetize every possible weapon option on that unit so you can swap it out. There's just no way that that's a reasonable way to go. So I think the modeling argument is, is slightly different to the painting. As long as it's it makes sense that that's what it is and it's adequately based, and you tell the person that is what the unit is at the beginning of the game and they say, okay, I don't think there should be a problem there. Yeah. A good example of that is uh, when I played at Durham last year and I played against Drew. And Drew had a fully customized, beautifully painted Saurian Ancient Army that was all uh, like samurai themed. He had a big unit Saurus which had like katanas and like you know the, like the samurai shoulder pads and stuff like that. It, it looked yeah. amazing. But he said at the start of the game to me, uh, they've got spears. And I was like, right, okay. I totally forgot. And I charged in and he was like, right, I'm fighting extra rank. And I was like, why? Because they've got spears. You did tell me that. That's fine. Like, 100%. <laughs> that, that's totally my fault. I forgot about that. And, you know, I think that's just a good example of someone that's put so much time and effort into getting that army. They're beautifully painted and based. So who who's really bothered about the fact that they've got a katana rather than a, you know, a spear? Even though a katana isn't actually a weapon anyway. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you guys. As long as you're clear at the start, there's no issue. You can't do that with painting. You can't turn to your grey plastic army and be like, right, now just to be clear... That's blue, that, white and green. <laughs> yeah, that unit is actually golden demon uh, level painted. <laughs> it's like, right, okay, In my mind, cool. it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess here's, here's a question then back at you boys. So how, how do you feel about the concept armies that are designed to to meet those minimums, the, the one that comes to mind is always the, the ghost armies of whatever army you might be having. How, how do we feel about those? It's not, I mean, in my mind, if you spray paint an army one colour, and I don't know if that is the case with these, I get the impression that it probably is. I mean, they're, they're some of the ones that the Scottish GT were based, and then they were just basically sprayed that kind of light blue turquoise colour. That's not three colour minimum. Um, I noticed on some of the armies they had done, like, they had painted silver onto like some of the the weapons, and they had maybe done something else somewhere to kind of fulfill that three color minimum. If it was my tournament, I would probably say no, that's not three color minimum because I mean it does look cool on certain units. Like if you just got a unit of wraiths, then okay, but a whole army, I don't know. The modeling is also done in such a way that it's ambiguous. Who was it they had the the VC army and I think it was. In fact, it was painted as a VC army, but it was Saurian Ancients. Was that Will? Will Goodwin, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that's three-colour minimum in my eyes. That's pushing it to the extreme. 
that's interesting because I would I would be okay with that. I mean, like I say, I mean, I, I get that idea, but that's an army that's been done that way specifically for a competition to tick that box. Yeah. At that point, I'm like, that's really pushing it to the point where, because there is that doubt in my mind, I'm more leaning on the probably not side. Okay, that's fair. I, I just, like, I think that if you do it to a high enough standard, like Will did, mm-hmm. uh, and it's nicely based, like Will did, I think that's mm-hmm. absolutely fine. Um, I do take exception at tournament level, not at casual game level, I'm not bothered, but at tournament level, people doing the bare minimum three colours. So, like, if you've got an orc, you paint the body green, you do silver for his axe, and maybe, like, a bit of brown on his hair or his robes or something like that. And it's obvious that you've just done those three colours to meet minimum requirement and go on. I mean, a, a good example of this, and I'm sure you won't mind, is Nick's infantry for his beast heads. No, he's monsters, he's infantry. Uh, because we're, before we went, I think it was before Durham, Nick painted them to three colours standard to get past the painting thing. But they're not properly based, and he has just done the minimum. Um, and it's because his girlfriend paints all his stuff, and she doesn't want to paint all the infantry. She only wants to paint the monsters. <laughs> <laughs> and his monsters are all really nice, and it's fine. Um, but I will be saying to Nick for Siege, you need to base the effort, and you need to make a bit more of an effort. Because I think it's only fair. Yeah, I mean, this is part of the problem at a tournament level, is people have a different standard, like, from a TO point of view. Yeah. And so it's difficult for the player to say, right, how do I meet that standard? Because this is going to be different from maybe the tournament that I'm going to in three months' time. And if you've only got the one army, you don't have a lot of time. It is difficult, but yeah, I mean the three color minimum, like you say, it's not the great greatest advice because you can take it to extremes. I mean, I never saw it, but I heard of a guy who based everything white with just a stripe of color on each person, like three stripes. Yeah, and that's just out. taking the piss. Well, that guy's an asshole. But it still makes it minimum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess that brings us, you know, back to some of the earlier points. But if you're if you're doing that, you're, I, I haven't seen those infantry, but I'm guessing what it's been sprayed brown and a bit of metal on the axe and said something on the hair. Then for the next tournament, he could do something like paint the hooves, or you know, and then that progression is that I don't have much time, and that's fine. But actually, doing the next stage on this model is yeah. going to take me, or this unit is going to take me an hour and a half, and then all of a sudden I've actually done four colours, and it's over the course of months without that much time in them. Suddenly, have a more or less finished unit. I should point out that I've, I'm friends with Nick, and I have been friends with him for a long time, so I'm not speaking <laughs> someone like that random. Yeah. And to be fair right. to us, because we play with Nick, like we're giving him forewarning. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think even like I mean, we should pick on Nick because it's not fair. Because no, Mexico guy. Yeah, like everyone likes Nick. Um, but even if he just paint, uh, sorry, even if he just based his his basic infantry, like his longhorns or sorry his wildhorns, just put a bit of basing on them, then it'd be I'd be totally fine with it. Yeah, I'd do it for him if he wanted. Uh, well, actually, that thought went through my head, and I was like, I can't offer that to him, because he'll say yes. <laughs> I mean, he's going to pay me, but I'll do it. <laughs> God, can you imagine Michael? Fucking hell. I don't know if Michael knows how to even build miniatures. Uh, he just buys them. What is that going to be? Uh, well, if it's going to be his uh, militia idea, fuck knows, because I think he's going to struggle to get that painted, because that's like... Zombie-esque in terms of the number of minutes he's talking See, about. If he seriously brings a militia list to strife, can I grudge him round one? What do you mean? Can I you just... grudge him round one so you can play him? Yeah. If you want, yeah. yeah. Is that just to teach him a lesson? Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> On behalf of the Empire. <laughs> Taking four mortars. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you field all those militia. <laughs> no, ah. to be fair, it was it was funny. We were I was chatting to him the other day and he was like, 
I think it was just on the ninth inch chat. He was like, "Oh, come on, Paul, we will get a game in soon or whatever." And I, the, the thought did go through my head, like, "I'm bringing like multiple units of chosen." <laughs> <laughs> I know Michael's got a lot going on just now, but um, the stuff he's painted is really, really nice. It's just you know getting it to. It. I mean, puts the effort in when he does paint. Yeah, I mean, Michael's a bad example as well because he's very new to the hobby. So I would say, on the whole, our club's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, most people when they do put the effort in, it's to a good standard. Absolutely. Right, before we uh, lose any more friends in this podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who else can we bitch about? <laughs> um, does anyone have anything else they want to raise about the tournament soft scores or anything like that? No, I think I've said my piece. Awesome. So, first and foremost, thank you both very much for coming on. It's been good fun it's talking about it. It was a pleasure. Paul, do you want to do the, the detail stuff? Because I've lost my sheet, sheet of paper that's got all this stuff on it. What stuff? Okay, I found it. There we go. Mad get rid of it. I was like, oh fuck, I'm going to have to like make up tournament dates. <laughs> no, no, no. So, uh, well, you can talk about strife. Do that. All right, okay. So, talking about tournaments, <laughs> we have uh, the, next, the next Scottish Wildling hosted tournament. It's going to be Stravel and Strife, which is the 14th of July. It's just a one-day tournament. So, it's going to be Saturday. Three games, 4,500 points. Three hours per game. Pretty casual event at Common Ground Games. We think we have something like eight spots left open. So anyone that's been to our event in the past, the fancy's coming back, be lovely to have you. We're going to have pretty good prize support. There's a couple of announcements on the Ninth Age Forum so far with the two companies that we've released. We've got a couple others that we're just kind of holding back on for now uh, to build some suspense. But we've got Deep Cut Studios. They're sponsoring the event. They're donating a 6x4 mat as a prize. We've also got some stuff that's been sent by Spellcrow. They're also sponsoring us. And like I say, if you, if you want to come to the event, more than welcome. We're a pretty good bunch of guys, pretty friendly. I think Deej can attest to that. You had you had fun when you came up, Deej, didn't you? I enjoyed myself. I wouldn't share a room with Andrew if uh, he was a deputy. <laughs> It's <laughs> a pretty the, good endorsement. Just for the uh, the audience there, did you, you share a room with uh, this weekend? You. <laughs> there we go. Cool. So if you find well, coming to an event, I mean, you never know. You might end up shacking with a wildling in the in the future. Might want to share a room uh, with him. Uh, so. <laughs> um, in terms of other tools, I'm not trying to join you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in terms of other events, we've got um, Call to War and Call to Paint on the 5th and 6th of May. Um, in the immediate future, actually, we've got the English Championships, which is this weekend, which will, which will be passed by the time this comes out, so, you know, whatever. We've got the UK Team Championships on the 1st to the 3rd of June, which are um, eight-man team events. Um, there's also the three-man team event, uh, which that's at the end of June. And then all the other details for stuff further away from that you can get on the Night Edge website and then of course we'll have Siege in October so stay tuned for news about that at the end of the summer and if you'd like to get in contact with us you can do so by uh, dropping us an email at scottishwildlings.gmail.com you can get us on Twitter at Scottish Ninth Age um, or you can send us a pigeon to Paul's house you can so uh, thanks again guys for coming on uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll catch you in the next one yeah take it easy guys <laughs>